But you, dear friends, some of your versions say beloved. Beloved. You're not just friends, you're loved ones. Jude says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore God's people said amen Amen. we have about 40 to 45 uh, small groups in uh, our Windsor Road church family and we, we talk about how important it is to get connected to a small group, a growth group, a group in which you can Velcro yourself to relationships and Velcro yourself to the Bible. And let's say you're in one of those groups. You've got about eight or nine people and you're doing a Bible study and you're the leader and it's prayer time. And you ask the group, is there anything I can pray with you about? What can we seek God about? And, and someone speaks up as, you know, people share each week. Someone says that, uh, you know, there's a relative that's having surgery. And I would like to have us pray for that person. And someone else says, you know, I've got a job opportunity that I'm considering. And would you please, I just need wisdom. Would you please give wisdom and other people talk about issues that's going on in their lives And then Bill speaks up. He's been kind of quiet the past few weeks, but but Bill speaks up. And the first word's out of Bill's mouth. I think tonight's going to be my last night in this group. That's what I think. I don't believe in God anymore. I don't think he hears my prayers. I don't feel like he's there. I've been giving. I've been tithing. I've been serving. But when I come to church on Sunday, it just feels empty. My heart just feels dead. And I just don't, I just don't think, and and he pauses for just a minute as if, you know, the struggle, but then he just says it. I just don't believe in this Christianity stuff anymore. Goes on to say why, you know, at, at, Work this past week just in the lunchroom, someone asked me if there was any, you know, historical evidence for the existence of Jesus, you know, outside the New Testament. And, and then they started talking about how, you know, the New Testament was formed uh, after the Roman Emperor Constantine kind of did a power play like they talk about in the, the, the movie and the book, The Da Vinci Code. And, and I just didn't know what to say. I, I just froze and, and, and uh, you know, I just, this is a nice group and you're nice people but I just don't know I just don't know I just don't believe this Christianity stuff anymore 
All right, what do you say? How do you respond? What would you say? How should we deal with doubt? Obviously, Bill is experiencing a season of doubt. What to do? One option would be to say, on guard, infidel, and just unsheath your Bible and just slash Bill with scripture verse after scripture verse and, and, and you know, pistol whip him with your Bible and, and that's it, you know. Don't recommend that. Another option that is really pretty common is panic. Because it's the last thing we would expect someone to say in a, you know, kind of in a a church group-like setting. But just kind of panic. And so it's just, so you just, well, 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 Bill, you just have to, you just have to try harder. You just, you just have to, you know, you just have to have, you just got to do your quiet time. That's what you got to do. You just got to do your quiet time. And you just keep saying, quiet time. Every other phrase is quiet time. You got to do quiet time. As if quiet time happened to be the magic elixir that solves all of your spiritual problems. You just need quiet time. That's what you need. Now, let's, can we get on with our study? Maybe you would say this. Maybe you would say this. Wow. Wow. Um, Okay, Bill. This is huge. This is big. It feels huge. It feels big. And it sounds and feels hopeless, doesn't it? Yeah. And right about that time, you put your printed and prepared lesson on the coffee table and you just start paying attention to Bill and you in a real non-confrontive way you just you know Bill's already kind of opened up a little bit so let's let's just start where Bill is and and how long have you been feeling this way I mean um, and 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 can you tell me, I mean, you don't have to, but can you tell me why, why, you, why these experiences make you feel that Christianity isn't true or that, that God is distant and then you listen and you listen and then when it's all said and done, you, know, you don't offer a quick fix and you don't offer an instant solution. You don't offer, well, four steps to. You might simply, you might simply just say, you know, Bill, um, here's the deal. Tonight, You don't have to believe. You don't have to believe tonight. We'll believe. We'll believe for you. We will pray for you. And we will ask God to restore to you the gift of faith. Okay? And that doesn't mean that every subsequent small group needs to be about Bill. Okay? But that night it can be, and maybe that means that one or two of you can just kind of agree that we're going to just walk alongside you. We're going to do this together. And if that response just kind of happens to resonate with you, believe you me, it resonated with Jude, especially when Jude says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Aren't you glad he said that? 
Be merciful to those who doubt. Not be judgmental to those who doubt. Not be, uh, you know, shameful toward those who doubt. Not be angry toward those who doubt. Not be paralyzed toward those who doubt, but be merciful to those who doubt. I wonder if there are some here this morning who are dealing with doubt. And, and your name could be Bill. And you're wondering, you know, I, I don't feel close to God. I'm wondering if God is real. I'm really wondering if this Christianity thing is true. Or if, if what's going on here right now is just kind of a social gathering to help us numb the uncomfortable notion that we're all just worm food in the end. Jude has spent the better part of his letter, the bulk of his letter, telling house churches, house churches that are really in turmoil over false teachers and false teaching, that which denies Christ, that which disagrees with the gospel, that which endorses sexual immorality. I mean, Jude says these false teachers are shepherds who feed themselves. In verse 12, he calls them hidden reefs. Hidden reefs, they're like they're landmines in the ocean. He says they're, they're without the Spirit. They're not even Christians. Not even Christians. You see, Jude is concerned not only with those who cause doubt. I mean, he definitely wants his church family to understand what's going on here. But Jude wants to minister to those who are dealing with doubt. He wants to talk to those who are in the fallout of doubt, those who are wavering in doubt, those who are feeling confused and misled. I wonder if there's anybody here like that. I just wonder. If so, you know it's very real and you know it's very hard. And it makes you want to feel like you just want to give up on God. You live in an anti-God world and maybe an anti-God neighborhood, maybe an anti-God family or marriage. And it's just hard. It's just hard. And I think Jude needs to be heard because he's been on both sides of the table. You know that, don't you? You know, Jude was once a doubter, a doubter who became a believer, who then became a leader. Jude was one of the four natural-born uh, sons of Mary and Joseph. After Jesus' supernatural birth, uh, Mary and Joseph had, at least we know, at least six other children. And four of those were boys, and, we, and, and the Scripture simply says sisters, so there were at least two. James and Joseph and Simon and Jude. Jude. But here's the deal. Growing up, Jesus' brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. John 7 and 5 makes that very clear. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And yet something dramatically uh, uh, happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, they all joined together. This was after the resurrection. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Luke makes it very clear. He says, and with his brothers. He's talking about those four boys. Those four boys who were doubters, who uh, became believers. I mean, the resurrection was what changed. (laughs) I mean, he was on the cross. He was dead. He was buried. And then he arose. We're not talking a ghost here. We're talking a bodily resurrection. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 4, the Apostle Paul implies that, 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 and this is beautiful, the Lord's brothers, these four, became leaders and church planters and preachers in the first century. And we know James. We know. We've looked at his letter, the letter of James, and, and we know that James was the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And oh, how I wish we had more information about, uh, about the other boys. But we don't. It's scant information. But we do know that Jude, Jude, we, we know that Jude here in this letter was one of the boys because he identifies himself as a brother of James. Why didn't he identify himself as a, the half-brother of Jesus? Because Jude's authority is not going to be in his kinship to Jesus. It's going to be in the fact that Jesus is the king and he is the servant. And that's why Jude identifies himself as a servant of Jesus. So Jude understands doubt. He really does. He's lived doubt, and he knows what we need to know. He knows, are you wavering in doubt? Are you, are you dealing with doubt? If you are dealing with doubt, if you're wavering in doubt, Jude says, here's what you need to do. You need to stand in the love of God. That's what you need to do. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of Jesus. Stand in God's love. Stay in God's love. Keep yourselves in God's love. You stand for the faith by staying in God's love. And, and say, well, what does that look like? That looks like mercy. That looks like mercy. And that's why Jude says, be merciful. Be merciful. You meet doubt with mercy. You contend for the faith by keeping yourself in God's love and displaying the mercy of Jesus. And what I want you to see, what I want you to see in verses 22 and 23 is that this is so important because mercy needs to be displayed that's built in the love of God because, and here it is, there's more than one way to doubt. You know that, don't you? There's more, than, there's more than one way to doubt. There are different degrees of doubt. And Jude mentions this. He introduces us to some degrees of doubt. Three ways that people can waver. And so let's just walk through these ways here in verses 22 and, and 23. Beginning with third degree doubt. It's not as serious. We need to mention it. We need to talk about it. We need to deal with it. Because probably most of you who have dealt with doubt or who are dealing with doubt right now, you are dealing with third-degree doubt. This is the kind of doubt where you're wondering, is God, is God there? Is Jesus real? And you, you may work in an environment or you live with a family that's hostile or at least apathetic to Christ, and then you get exposed to media and culture that's very cynical, and, and you don't have answers to their questions, and you kind of feel beaten down, and you feel that on an emotional level. And I think that's what Jude is talking about when he says that. So how do we deal with these people? We, we display mercy to them. So that means, you know, we need to sit down with Bill and we need to say, you know, Bill, listen, listen, just because you feel doubt doesn't mean you're a heretic, okay? Just because you're feeling doubt doesn't mean you're, you're an unbeliever. Just because you didn't know the answer to the lunchroom question doesn't mean there's not an answer. And just because you doubt doesn't mean that your faith isn't real. And then you say to Bill, you say, look, you, you give him two statements Statement number one, God is there. God is there. 
And then you give him another statement. I don't experience God as being there. I don't experience God as being there. And then you say, you know what, Bill? These two statements can be and often are perfectly true at the same time. At the same time. Because that's the message of many of the Psalms. <laughs> and when Bill feels that way, Bill is in the company of many of the psalmists. I'm thinking of Psalm chapter 42, verse 9, where the psalmist says, I say to God, my rock. Now, okay, I say to God, my rock. So what do you think is going to come next out of the psalmist's mouth? He says, God, you're my rock. Well, it would be something like, wow, I'm standing strong on you because you're a great foundation. That would, that would be reasonable, wouldn't it? That's not what Psalm 42.9 says. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? That, friends, is third degree doubt you say bill you're in good company <laughs> doesn't mean you're a heretic okay and then and then and then you, you talk to bill okay let's go back to that break room and your friends say things like well you know we know the new testament says stuff about jesus but what about other ancient documents why don't we pay attention to them you know sometimes i hear that when when people have questions to me about you know the truth of the new testament and can we trust the new testament what about other ancient documents and what they say about Jesus? people who insist on evidence for for jesus life and ministry outside the new testament people who insist on wanting to hear that and use that as you know equal evidence they don't know what they're asking they don't the fact of the matter is church family the new testament matthew mark luke and john what you hold in your hand right now are the best, most reliable, and most accurate primary sources, primary sources about the life and ministry and death of Jesus. You cannot improve upon the Gospels. You can't. So why then would anyone ask us to ignore those primary sources about Jesus in favor of sources that are later and less reliable? See? So you, we can be confident that what we read about the life of Christ, they're from eyewitnesses. Luke tells us, he interviewed the eyewitnesses. We can trust the truth of the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. So those who are struggling with third degree doubt, you know what? It's okay. Bill, it just means your faith needs to grow. That's all it means. D doubt means that your faith just hasn't matured the way it can Doubt is a way in which God can deepen our faith by showing us our lack of faith. Doubt in the third degree can make us teachable. Doubt is like a signpost showing us how far we have to go until we're fully committed to God. And so doubt, doubt to the third degree is good because it can lead faith to grow. Is anybody here experiencing third degree doubt? Good. Good, it just means you're teachable and you're open And it also means you need to distinguish the head issues and the heart issues, okay? 
and answer questions on those levels. Someone comes to you with a head question, you need to address the head. Someone comes to you with a heart question, you need to talk to the heart, you see. Third degree doubt. Show mercy, Jude says. Show mercy. But then that's not the only kind of doubt there is, you know. Look. Jude talks about second degree doubt. That's in verse 23 when he says, snatch others from the fire. So he's talking about another group there, others. Others from the fire and save them. It's a little more serious here. It is. Second degree doubt is a level of doubt in which a believer is conflicted enough that while they have not abandoned Jesus Christ, they're toying with a lifestyle that is totally against Christ. They're dabbling with a, with a sort of Christianity that you could call cafeteria Christianity. They're going to they're gonna take what they want to take and leave what they want to leave. And, and as a result, it causes them to flirt with what's false and what's dangerous. They haven't bought in yet, but they're, they're, but they're, but they're teetering on the brink of disaster. And, and, and Jude's response is, you need to show mercy. How, what does that look like? Well, in this case, it means you're going to be more assertive. <laughs> See, you're going to be more, you're going to, you're going to snatch others from the fire. And since Jude is dealing with false teachers, and part of their heresy, verse 4 tells us, has to do with Changing the grace of God into a license for immorality, I think one of the things we could do would be, to, would be to insert ourselves into the life of that loved one, that person that we know, and, and just rehearse for them the consequences of immorality. Randy Alcorn has written a pretty sobering article. Um, he uh, has a, a great website. It's called Eternal Perspective Ministries, and it's just epm.org. Let me write that down, epm.org. He's written a pretty sobering article to pastors called Deterring Immorality by Counting Its Cost. And in that article, he just, he reminds himself over and over again of how important it is for him to be pure in his marriage because of the consequences. And he lists, he lists about 30 consequences. I'll just give you a few. Consequences like grieving Jesus and dragging his name into the mud. Consequences like bringing great pleasure to Satan, the enemy of God. Like the suffering of innocent people around me who would get hit by my shrapnel. Consequences like the loss of my loyal wife's respect and trust. The loss of credibility with my children. Why listen to a man who betrayed mom and us? Shame to my family. Why isn't daddy a pastor anymore? And the cruel comments of others who would invariably find out. Shame to my church family. Shame and hurt to my friends, especially those I've led to Christ and discipled. And then what about the guilt? It's awfully hard to shake. Even though God would forgive me, would I forgive myself? And then what about the plaguing memories and flashbacks that could taint future intimacy with my wife? What about forfeiting forever certain opportunities to serve God? Years of training and experience in ministry wasted for a long period of time, maybe permanently. 
What about the heaping of judgment and the endless problems on the person that I would have committed adultery with? What about possible diseases? What about possible pregnancy with its personal and financial implications, including a lifelong reminder of sin to me and my family? Alcorn says, these are just some of the consequences. He says, you know, if we would just... If we would just rehearse in advance the ugly and overwhelming consequences of immorality, we would be far more prone to avoid it. And what Jude is saying is, you know, we need to go in and insert ourselves into the life of someone. And Do you really understand where this is heading? You know, we all know how this movie's going to end. And if you're dealing with second-degree doubt today, please listen to what Jude says. Listen to what Alcorn has to say. Listen to the truth. Listen. Well, then there's first-degree doubt. This is, really, this is really by far the most serious form of doubt. It's not even really a form of doubt. It's just out-flat rebellion. I mean, Jude says these false teachers, they're just, they're not even believers. They don't have the Holy Spirit. This kind of doubt and wavering is simply just a state of mind, an insurgent against the kingdom of God. Verse 23 says, to others show mercy mixed with fear. And then Jude says, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. Now, you have to understand, Jude is speaking to Hebrew Christians and they they would have heard this and their immediately their mind would go to Zechariah chapter 3 and they would immediately connect the truth that Jude Jude is accusing these false teachers of soiling themselves yes clothing stained See, that's how polluting sin is see that they have what they call freedom in Christ and grace, Jude says, that's excrement. That's what it is. That's what it is. See, see, the problem with these false teachers, it's not simply that they want you to participate in a false act. They want you to become a certain kind of person. That's the problem. They're not neutral. They're not benign. They, these false teachers are disciple makers, and they are recruiting to a rival king. And they are attempting to enlist patriot citizens to a rival kingdom. And when someone is in that state of mind, <laughs> Jude says, all right, listen, you, you, know, you know, attempt to reach out, but don't get too close. Don't get too close. You know, you can't rescue people without personal contact, but you also need to beware that what seduced them might seduce you. And sin is deceitful enough that those trying to help others could themselves be trapped. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what Judah's saying? That's, that's doubt to the first degree. It's, pretty, it's gotten pretty heavy in here, hasn't it? But Jude says, this is the deal. So, so the question is, what's your story? Which, which of these degrees of doubt best resembles your story. Where are you? Jude says there's different ways to deal with doubt. There's different displays of mercy. And doubt to the first degree. If you are in first degree doubt, the word to you is repent. You just need to change. You need to come to your senses and come to God. Repent now, Jude says. 
If you're in second degree doubt, Jude says, listen, let's think this through. Let's, let's rehearse the consequences. Come on, the building's burning. It can only go in one direction. Buildings don't burn up, they burn down. It's going down. Get out. Come on. See, let's look at the consequences. And then there's third degree doubt, and the third degree doubt is, come on, let's, let's deal with some of the head issues, and let's deal with some of the heart issues. And let's come alongside, and third degree doubt doesn't mean you're a heretic, it's a path to growth. Where are you? Where are you in this? Jude says, you who have been called and loved and kept, you who have an abundance of mercy, now you be merciful. You be merciful. And what you'll find, and, 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 and this is what I want to leave you with here as we conclude this letter. I want to leave you, I want to leave you with this phrase. This, this, I hope it's an aha phrase. Whenever, whenever you're dealing with doubt, I, Jude encourages, when you are in doubt, doubt it. Doubt your doubt. Don't trust your doubt. Don't. Don't trust. And what does that look like? Well, first of all, it looks like it looks like being at peace. Being at peace. Verse 17 says, Beloved, you know, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. You know, doubt happens. It's going to happen, just like the apostles said it would. Jude begins and ends with the reality of these false teachers. So, so you need to be alert, but you don't need to be alarmed, okay? Just be at peace. Calm down. Secondly, be in community. Understand that you cannot grow by yourself. You need to be in a group. You need to be Velcroed to the Bible and Velcroed to a group of believers. You need to build yourself up. It says build yourselves up. That's in the plural. That's temple talk. When Jude is talking about building yourselves up, he's, he, that's the image of the temple. We believers are living stones as a temple to the Lord. You need other believers. You need contact. Don't leave. You're feeling doubt? No, don't build. Don't leave that group. Stay with that group. Just be there. And here's the beauty of it. That illustration that I gave you was really based on a, it's based on a true story of a seminary professor who lost his wife and would meet with his colleagues for prayer. And, so, and one day he simply said, I just don't believe in God anymore. He's distant. I don't feel it. I just, and, and the president of the seminary said, that's okay. We'll believe for you. We will pray for you. We will ask God to restore to you the gift of faith. We will do that. You don't have to believe. Just stay with us and we will, we will just shepherd you along. And this went on for a, quite a long time until one day when the group met, the professor spoke up first and said, why don't you all let me lead us in prayer? Their prayers had been answered. And his faith was restored and his confidence was restored. Because he was in community. Velcroed to the truth, velcroed to believers, and be in prayer. Isn't that what Jude tells us? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. That, that means prayer that trusts in God's agenda, not ours. That means prayer that says, God, your will be done on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven. And you know what? That means prayer, prayer from the heart as well. So often, well, uh, one author put it this way, so often the prayers 
that we pray resemble these polite monologues in a nice church. He said the fawning etiquette of unctuous prayer is utterly foreign to the Bible. Biblical prayer is persistent, shameless, indecorous. It's more like the haggling in an oriental bazaar. Where you, and the Psalms just reflect this. God, where are you? Or, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Say, well, I doubt. We'll pray. Tell God you're doubting. Tell God, I don't, I don't think you're there. I don't feel you're there. It's just that act alone. And then Jude concludes, you know, be at peace. You know, how do you doubt your doubt? Be calm, be in community, be in prayer. And then Jude concludes with this wonderful, wonderful doxology of worship. Now to him who is able to keep you. See, here's the deal. When I don't feel that my, when I don't feel that my faith is strong, well, how, what's God's response? God's response is faithfulness. God's response is faithfulness. Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you. See, see, what we've been learning is that while Jude says, well, I want you to guard the gospel, but when he gets to the end of the letter, Jude says, I don't want you to forget that God is guarding you. God is keeping you. There's no one who wants you in heaven more than your heavenly Father. No one. No one. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, now, not, not five years from now when you're a better Christian. Right now, this instant. There's no, no condemnation. No, not at all. Not even a little. Zero. Gone. Poof. For those who are in Christ Jesus and only because we are in him. I mean, here's the deal. Here's Christianity's deal. We provide everything that deserves condemnation, and God provides everything that deserves acceptance. That's a deal. You, you will not get a better deal. And the message of Jesus is, the message of Jesus is that God, God not only does not condemn us, but he doesn't want us to feel condemned. See? He wants us to feel freed. And that only comes by keeping ourselves in the light of his love. In the light of his love. Well, two-year-old Trevor went to the zoo with his mom. And they got to the orangutans. And, you know, those orangutans, I mean, some of them possess the strength of five men. And the only thing that separated those orangutans from Trevor was a thick glass, 20 feet tall. Well, Trevor was doing okay until one of those orangutans suddenly leapt right up to where he was and started beating on the glass. Well, he just kind of, ah, you know? Scared, I'm scared. His mom tenderly took him and put his hand on the glass and showed him that the glass shielded him from the animal and 
There was nothing to be afraid of. And, and afterwards, when, when Trevor would begin to get a little nervous, mom would just remind Trevor. He, she would just remind him with these words, Trevor, remember the glass. Just remember the glass. Remember the glass. You know, the recipients of this letter, the first century church, they faced persecution at the hands of a powerful government that wanted to snuff them out. They faced not only external pressures, but they faced internal pressures, false teachers and false teaching. Some of those believers would be misled. Some of those, some of those would be put to death and persecuted. And the ones who were there, I mean, sometimes felt like Trevor feeling as if nothing stood between them and the enemies of God's kingdom. And in the midst of that trying, difficult, hard season of wavering and doubting, Jude concludes with this magnificent, magnificent doxology to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. That, church family, that's the end of the movie. That's it. No matter where you are, no matter what degree of doubt you've wrestled with, no matter what your struggle with, emotionally, physically, it, this is. We stay in the light of God's love. We stay and wait for the mercy of Christ. This is the end of the movie. This is our destiny. This is where we're going. Jude reminds us of this. To the only God our Savior, the only God our Savior, Jude wrote in a very pluralist culture, a culture that believed in many deities, Jude says there's not many, there's one. The only God our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority, and then ties that to the very name of Jesus, Jesus, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore with a resounding amen. You know what I think Jude's saying here? You know what I think he's saying to those who are struggling with doubt and wavering? You know what he's saying? Remember the glass.